Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. And we are now exclusively a part of the SEU Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ken Engel, president of Southeastern University. And I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, SEU chief of staff. And we are excited today to uh, announce our guest on our show, Michael Moe. Michael is the founder and CEO of GSV Holdings, a growth-focused investment platform based in Silicon Valley. He was also named Best on the Street by the Wall Street Journal while heading global growth research and has worked as a leader and advisor within several different investment committees. Michael, wow, it's an honor to welcome you to the show today. Hey, Ken. Hey, Michael. It's great to be with you. Hey, on today's episode, I want us to talk about... um, the power of education and investment. And you've learned the importance of business over the the last several years and how hard work pays off. Over the years, you've invested in various education companies. What motivated you to pursue these specific types of investments? Yeah, so we invest in high growth, high opportunity businesses. And so we invest in companies like Facebook and Twitter and Dropbox, Spotify and Snap and a bunch of companies like that. But education has been a particular focus of ours because we believe that it represents uh, tremendous opportunity. Why? First of all, you know, first thesis in a global marketplace and knowledge based economy, what you know, your education makes a difference for an individual, for a company and for that matter, a country. And so the classic investment opportunity is where there's a problem. The bigger the problem, the greater the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, in this knowledge-based economy, how people more effectively get their education, what type of return they get on that education, I don't think there's a bigger issue that faces society or a greater opportunity. Therefore, it's a, it's a recipe for tremendous opportunity investment. So what are you guys seeing as some of the major trends happening in education today as you're looking kind of towards the future and where everything's going, especially in kind of this post-pandemic where there's a little bit of a, of a moratorium on online. It wasn't as successful in some ways as people were hoping it was going to be, but it was su- very successful in other ways. What are some of the, the trends and, and directions you're seeing? Well, first of all, in online, you know, it's going to be an ongoing evolution. Um, but the, the opportunity with online is democratizing learning, increasing yes. access, lowering the cost, yeah. and with ultimately improving quality. In terms of trends or themes, you know, the, a couple themes. One is this idea of lifelong learning. So it used to be that you played from zero to five, you learned from five to 25 years old, you worked from 25 to 65, and then you retired. Well, now you're going to be learning from the time essentially you're born to the time you retire, if you ever retire. So you no longer fill up your knowledge tank to age 25 and drive off through life. You're going to continually need to be learning things. You're not going to do that in a traditional fashion. You're going to be getting that knowledge, that education, you know, in different ways, on the fly, playing games, you know, and so forth and so on. So that's a major trend. Second is you think about historically education has been effectively a local physical cottage industry with, with digital learning you start to see these models that are rapidly scaling, you know, reach mass audiences. We call those weapons of mass instruction. Yeah, so that's good. Mass instruction, you know, companies like Coursera, which we are a major, we're, we are a major investor in. Um, that's a that's a, a an example of a, a company of, of, of weapons of mass instruction. And maybe the third trend that I'd mention is this idea, I mean, I guess they're both related. I call it Hollywood meets Harvard. Mm. And that's the idea that um, if you're not engaged or paying attention, you're not going to learn anything. Mm. What Hollywood does a great job of is telling stories, of being able to create engagement, making stars of actors, and having high quality but low cost through scale. 
So companies like Masterclass and Outlier examples of those companies. And the second kind of sister concept of that, I call it invisible learning. And that's the idea that you're learning without even really recognizing that that's what you're doing. Wow. So, for example, you know, we have nearly 3 billion gamers around the world now. That's up mm. from 50 million 20 years ago. Well, if you can learn things while you're doing something you, you, that you're having fun doing, that's, that's, that's a great that's a great concept. There was a nice article in the Wall Street Journal this week about uh, a family that basically learned political science during the co- during the pandemic through playing Minecraft. So, huh. I mean, that's those are the kind of things that I guess we're we're, we're focused on paying attention to. Yeah. Now, with the, with the rise of so much social media and 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 especially younger generations with uh, an amazing engagement, um, what do you think is one of the biggest challenges that businesses like Spotify, Twitter, all of them have to to you know understand as as they navigate that? Well, as as I think you alluded, you know, there's lots of alternatives, and increasingly, um, there's a little friction or switching cost. So you have to have something where you're creating tremendous value, even if it's for free, because you know your time sure. is bad right. too. So you just, you know, like just yesterday, Netflix reported that it uh, lost subscribers last quarter, and you know, I mean, they could talk about competition, they could talk about a lot of things. I think it's because they didn't have uh, as much content that people really wanted to see, and right. therefore, you know, it was lots of choices, and there's very little cost of switching. So that's that's something that um, is. You know, is, is a reality. I think it's any business, and particularly when you talk about a subscriber business, but I think it's any business. One of the key concepts is how do you create overwhelming value mm-hmm. for that consumer, that customer? So there's just like how you can't even imagine that this you're getting all this value for $9.99 a month or for $5 a month or $15 a month or free. You're just saying, how does this, you know, and, and, and those businesses have very sticky customers and you see them do things that uh, you know that continue to delight their 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 audience. So, you know, Joe Rogan, mm-hmm. you know, with Spotify, I mean Spotify is just I, I am a you know we were a big investor in Spotify. Yeah. I think Spotify just continues to find ways to add more and more value for their subscribers. You know, like some there's free you can you can be on subscribe you can be free on Spotify, you can pay for Spotify. They just keep on bringing more and more things that people love. And the business is thriving. Yeah. yeah. You know, and we've talked a lot about this and kind of higher education. What we're seeing is the, the traditional higher education model was connecting um, content with um, content with personal interaction. So you're, you're lecturing, you're hearing in person a lecture from a professor, and that's kind of the mode of learning in this side. But I think what you're highlighting a lot is this kind of now uh, ubiquitous divorce of content from the personal interaction in that I can get access to content anywhere, anytime, as much as I want, anything that I want to, but we still don't have that personal interaction. What is, in your opinion, what does personal interaction in an education context or in any context look more like in a digital age? And how can companies, as they're pushing out content, creating content, also be sure to have that personal connection? When you talk specifically about education, I think this is where there's a huge white space opportunity. Mm-hmm. What you've seen, I mean, you've seen the different iterations of online learning. And, you know, I think where things are basically at today is high quality content that's more or less still pushed at you, right? right? It's, mm-hmm. it's one directional. And, you know, it's low cost. You know, they're complementing that with you know, artificial intelligence and some other ways to create value. But you haven't seen the two-way interaction, you haven't seen the communities and the peer-to-peer learning. I think there's a huge opportunity to be creating communities 
around subject matters, around affinity groups, around things where people are, you know, because we all know, you know, the best way you learn is teaching somebody else. Right. Um, when, you, when you're sharing and you're, and you're um, you know, participating in something that, 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 that you're involved with, you're going to learn better. You're going to have stickier, you know, students mm-hmm. and they're, they're going to get better value. And you haven't really seen online providers, uh, you know, platforms that have, have nailed that. I, I, you know, we've, by the way, we've invested in some companies mm-hmm. that, that were doing that. And it was, you know, being too early is the same as being wrong. Yeah. Right. And so okay. you know, the, mar- the market wasn't really ready for some of those ideas when they were introduced. I think it is ready now. Yeah. I think that's the next chapter here. Yeah. You know, in early 2020, you founded GSV University and GSV MBA, an accredited graduate program for entrepreneurs. Tell us about this program. What motivated you to establish it and get it going? Well, as you can probably tell, I have a huge passion towards education. I also have a huge passion towards entrepreneurship. And we've been involved with, you know, with a number of online education businesses and so, um, what I like to say is that old McDonald had a firm, E-I-E-I-O. Well, new McDonald has a startup, E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> it's about entrepreneurship, innovation, mm-hmm. education, impact, and creating, creating equal opportunity. So, that's in the framework that I've had for a while and believed, um, in part because of the pandemic, um, that entrepreneurship was a huge area of opportunity that people were, 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 were uh, desperate for, and we have skill set and and content base and connections that we felt could deliver something that was really valuable and you know just through different relationships i had we launched the gsv mba mm. we have the gsv boot camp which is we're actually going through our third cohort um, as we speak so we have three thousand students around the world you know with a bunch from india a bunch from africa that are part of this seven week boot camp that are all it's free it's mm. free for them and we're doing that um, because we think it's uh, there, there's a there's a, there's an element of the universe that when you pay something forward, you know, it comes back to you manyfold. And so we're doing that. But the online MBA, we're very excited about, um, and you know, we're working hard to create a program that um, people are uh, you know proud to be part of, and, and we're certainly proud to be uh, running it. You know, let me ask you this: You get to work with a lot of young entrepreneurs or first startup leaders, maybe they're not young, but in different startups and, and even through your MBA program, if there were two or three characteristics that really kind of, as you've seen, set the standard, set the difference between the ones that, that make it as they push in their entrepreneurial journey versus the ones that, that don't quite make it, what would those characteristics be? Yeah, it's a great question because, you know, you see successful entrepreneurs that have different personalities different backgrounds, you know, different, you know, a lot of differences. And, you know, but what are the common denominators? One is this positive energy. You don't see entrepreneurs in a startup that don't have positive energy and have the ability to attract people, whether it's, you know, it's other, you know, young, new employees or investors or customers. I mean, there's a positive energy that gets people to sort of suspend their disbelief and why all the reasons why something isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. They, you know, that, that, that founder has the positive energy, that, that ability to kind of, um, uh, you know, look ahead and, 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 and get people to, to back them. The second 
and it's it sounds corny, but I could tell you story after story after story. In fact, I can't tell you of a company that I've been involved with that doesn't have a, a version of the story where you where you have something that looks like it could be devastating or terminal, mm. and the entrepreneur has the resilience to overcome it and move forward. Because I mean, in fact, there's a there's a, there's a wise saying in Silicon Valley that every great company has nearly you know, been killed three times. Wow. And, and 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 that's 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 more normal than not. But but a lot of people, you know, you have adversity right. and it's like you know the the sky is falling or you know they don't have don't don't have that resilience to kind of to, to to power to power through it. And the third piece is um, this idea that. You see the great founders have this innate understanding that it's not about them. You know, if, if they can help their customers get what they want, if they can get the employees get what they want, if they get the investors what they want, they will be successful. It's, it's this idea of kind of almost servant leadership. And, you know, and again, you see examples of, of founders that have been successful that may, might be all about them, but those ones typically don't survive. Mm. I mean, they, they might get the, often that's a situation where you see a company get to a certain place and it's usually pretty young in the business. Right. Somebody's just like crazy passionate and, you know, but it's all about how they get rich fast or whatever. And typically those founders get switched out mm. for a professional management team. You see them go on and that's, but those are, those are the characteristics I say, I'd say, you know, one positive energy. Second, you know, the relentlessness, you know, overcoming adversity. And the third, is is really this idea that you can get everything you want if you help enough other people get what they want. Yeah. You know, one of the more uh, important things, I think, for leaders to have um, is real-world experience, uh, uh, you know, on your journey, whether that's in high school, college, first career. How, how has your personal real-world experience contributed to your success? Well, you know, I think that's a, a, an important question. I think that's part of it is to pay attention Mm-hmm. to what that experience is and how you've been able to apply it to, to, your, to your, your life journey, your business journey. So, you know, kind of going back to education, um, I, you know, one of the reasons I got very interested in education was two experiences I had. You know, I, I just, I studied a lot of companies. I was a research analyst initially, saw a lot of companies. I went and visited a school in Baltimore, Maryland. And I grew up in Minneapolis, um, public schools, public college, blah, blah, blah. I went to the school in Baltimore. I couldn't believe the school existed in the United States of America. I mean, it had dead pets in the courtyard that neighbors had shot for sport, no partitions in the bathrooms, security. I mean, it's just it's like you say, like, wow. you wonder why half the kids drop out of school. I said, I can't believe this exists. And so I was like, no, this is, you know, how can America that, that happen? The second ex- experience is I was at Lehman Brothers. And I, I kind of fluked in through some lucky um, companies that I was involved with that were successful early that was running the growth business at Lehman Brothers. Um, and so I had to hire a team to work with me. Well, I realized there I couldn't hire anybody to work for me that had my background hmm. because I went to the University of Minnesota. You, you know, to work at Lehman Brothers, you had to go to one of five Ivy League schools. You had to have this kind of pedigree. I said, this is absurd. I mean, I thought going you know, to the University of Minnesota was a great school, and and you know, and I, and I had a lot of smart people that, that that went there with me and so forth. And I couldn't hire somebody in my background, so this is this is nuts. And so those those two things I would say, you know, were very influential. Why I got involved in education. Mm. I guess the third thing I just quickly mentioned, and 
you know, because I do think it's it, it definitely has influenced me significantly as I played team sports my whole life, you know, or at least until I got to be an adult. So mm-hmm. you can hard to do as an adult, but I played college football, I played basketball, baseball growing up. And being on a team, you know, does teach you a lot of things, I think, that you could apply to life. It's, you know, how do you work with others? Right. How do you overcome obstacles? How do you have a, you know, a goal for, you know, one for all, all for one? And and, and, that, and I think that certainly influenced me as it related to uh, both culture of businesses that, that I was involved with as well as businesses that um, I wanted to be investors in. You've uh, you've served as an advisor and board member on several committees over the years, and in your time with with these organizations, what have you noticed are the best qualities for leaders to have when holding positions of of importance and authority and influence? So, I think the most important thing a leader can do is to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and not be a dictator. Um, you, at some point, the leader needs to lead, but you know, the, you know, to get full participation, and certainly from a, a management group and a board of directors, you know, you, you, instead of telling, you want to be listening, because that's really, really you, know, you see the best ones. That's what they what they do. A second piece is this, uh, and, and it kind of is related to the first, but it's a little bit different. Is to really understand people as people. Because, you know, I think there's a lot of, um, I think you see mediocre leaders or mediocre companies where, you know, CEO is about, you know, setting goals and how are you doing versus you know, how are you doing on your OKRs or your know, KPIs or whatever the metric you're using. And it's not like how you doing, how's your family, you know, what's, you know, is your, are your kids okay? You know, you know, how was that vacation you just were on? When you look at the leaders that the companies where they take a second to actually understand you as a person, it just creates a whole different dynamic. And yeah. I think it, and I think you see that in the, in the most successful companies. I, you know, again, I've, I've had the fortune to have, as you said, been a number of successful boards and, and non-successful boards. I think the, the, um, the person who influenced me tremendously was a guy named Bill Campbell, who sadly died five years ago. They called him a coach of Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And what, what and you know, because they called him the coach of Silicon Valley because he was the coach for Steve Jobs, he was the coach for Eric Smith at Google, and he was the coach of Steve Be- or Jeff Bezos, and a bunch of people he was the coach for. He was a good friend of mine, um, luckily. And one of the things that he said is, you know, your you know you, your title on your card, you know, says you're the CEO or whatever, but your people make you the leader. Yeah. You know, you can't be the leader because of your title. You, may, you become the leader by what you do to, to, to show leadership. And, you know, and he has some other great principles, but that was something that you see in great leaders that they, it's not the title that makes them, mm-hmm. you know, in charge, you know, or makes people follow them. It's, 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 you know, what they do, who they are. And consist. I guess the last thing is consistency. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see people that are kind of mercurial and, you know, today they say paint the ball white and everybody, because of the CEO, you know, everybody paints the wall white. Well, three days later, they come back and say, why is the wall white? It should be green. And at some point, people just quit paying attention. Right. And so that kind of consistency and, the, and that, you know, creating that North Star, that's another characteristic that is important. Let me ask you this kind of a, as we wrap up and kind of before we head into the fire round, what are some of the companies you've seen, especially this past year during the pandemic, that have done it well? Maybe companies, maybe CEOs, the couple that comes to mind that have really kind of lived out what you're talking about here. Um, um, well, yeah. So, I mean, Coursera has absolutely 
killed it. You know, yep. Jeff mentioned called to the CEO, um, has done a tremendous job leading an organization that was going through dynamic breakneck growth. Um, you know, the great job of communication and setting standards and, and just, you know, really you know, impressive in terms of what uh, he did. Dan Rosenzweig, mm-hmm. who's the, 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 the CEO of Che, mm-hmm. and, you know, again, experienced this huge acceleration of growth and everybody's, you know, they got all sorts of issues you're dealing with. And you think about you run this company. So first of all, the company's growing really fast. Right. But all this pressure amongst your customers and the, the ecosystem. And then everybody has their own personal issues. I mean, you know, now all of a sudden your kids are home or you got different, you know, health or all these things that are going on. And so, the, you know, to manage during that type of period and well, I think is super impressive. I'll give you one, the third, which is a company that I got to know well, um, is, is Forbes. It's Mike Betterly, yeah. the CEO of Forbes. You know, there's all, you, you think of Forbes have been around 100 years. Everybody has all these challenges. He does right. a remarkable job. Of running a business in, in the environment that um, that you know was really challenging as a CEO, a leader of the organization. Yeah, yeah. Well, as we close out our conversation today, uh, we always like to close with a fire round. We ask just a couple of questions surrounding kind of everything we've discussed, and and always like you to answer with your quick gut uh, f- uh, answer. And and these are going to be very practical and applicable to the lives of our listeners. So let's begin. On Michael, uh, give us the first question. Yeah. So really want to um, kind of go back to something you were talking about earlier, as far as characteristics that leaders have is is that resilience. And in your opinion, how can a leader build? And build up their resilience in their life. It's just never quitting. It's uh, you know I think there's you know the story of burning the boats. Yeah. You know if you know, if you if you always have a have a way out. A lot of people mm. build their build their life around what's option B, what's option C. Wow. You know if this doesn't work out. I think the, the ones that really overcome all obstacles and adversity. There's one plan, and that plan is to be successful. Yeah. You know? No, that's yeah. good. That's good. What do you consider one of the biggest keys to success? I think one be a lifelong learner. Yeah. I mean, secondly, is to be a positive thinker and being optimistic. It's hard to imagine. I can't think of anybody who's achieved success, and you can say, "What's how do you define success?" But it hasn't been positive and you know looking for um, you know the good. And, and and frankly, I think people having purpose, you know, in their life in terms of what they're doing. Again, purpose is, means that their life has meaning. I think is a is a, is a core is a is a core aspect of success. Love it, love yeah. it. And last one, and I gotta ask this one. It just because of, of the seat that you sit in, and this is obviously not supposed to be advice. But in your opinion, what's the best opportunity on the market today? As people are just looking and they're kind of looking for spot spots to look at, what would be the the direction, the areas you would say, hey, look, look here, look, look down in this area. Well, first, I think the best thing to invest in is yourself, mm. yeah, because that's uh, there's there's no question that that is going to create the greatest return over time. The second investment in terms of just specific ideas or opportunities, you know, we have talked about digital learning, mm-hmm. but digital learning is, it's, you know, learning as a market industry is $7 trillion globally. Yep. That's nearly 10% of global GDP. And now it's going through all this change. And so this, this idea of, you know, the companies that truly create a, a solution to students that are looking to improve their opportunities to continue to be productive and succeed, the ones that meet that need, you know, I mean, you're a huge market, yeah. huge, huge opportunity. And so there's, and, there, and there's a bunch of really interesting companies with great entrepreneurs running them. So that's why I'd be looking. 
Yeah, awesome. That's good. Well, Michael, I want to thank you for joining us today on Framework Leadership Podcast. Grateful for your insight uh, that you have provided us and, and all of our listeners today. Ken, Michael, great to be with you. Thank you. Love having you. And you know, if you want to stay up to date with Michael, you can follow him on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Michael Mo. And uh, if you're with us on uh, um, YouTube right now, as you're watching it and you love the leadership content, please give us that like, uh, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss on any miss out on any future Framework Leadership episodes. You can also check out bite-sized leadership content on Instagram, Kent underscore Ingle, or Twitter, KentIngle.com. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, KentIngle.com. Thank you so much for listening to Framework Leadership. Take care, everybody.